Thank you, Ted, for your question. And please don't fire us. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't kick us off the station. Welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We're doing it live. We're broadcasting here on the Big Talker, 106.7 FM, on the 24th day of October in the year 2020. It's a pleasure to be here on the mic. Yael Ososki, one of your co-hosts, coming to you from Vienna, Austria. Deputy Director over there at the Consumer Choice Center, consumerchoicecenter.org. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and colleague, David Clement, Who's uh, he's keyed up here from Toronto, Ontario? David, sir, how goes it? It's going well. It's going well. The election is heating up. Uh, lots of polling information to talk about. We have a great guest this week. Fantastic guest this week. Um, so yeah, looking forward to to another show, uh, another great week. And thanks to uh, to everyone for listening in. So let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into to that. Um, obviously, it's been a Big week at the Big Talker. Uh, Joe Catanacci, who usually does the morning programs 7 to 10 a.m., did allow me to guest host the mic on Thursday, so that was quite a pleasure, and we got to do a lot of great interviews there. Uh, but David went up there, and he just went and outdid me. Yes. And uh, he, he was able to, to put together an interview with someone that uh, some of you guys might know and some of you listening actually uh, might have might have formally had this guy as one of your leaders. So, David, take it away and introduce us to this next interview. Yes. So uh, we were lucky enough to have former governor of South Carolina, Mark Sanford, join the program. Um, a great interview talking about debt and deficits. I won't do too much more of a preamble on that as uh, as it's all in that discussion that we had with him. So, Jamie, let's uh, let's roll that interview. This is what you get when you mess with us. Welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. It is with great pleasure that uh, I introduce our next guest. Uh, He served as the congressman for South Carolina's first congressional district from 1995 to 2001. He was a two-term governor of that same very state from 2003 to 2011, and again served as a congressman uh, in that same district from 2013 to 2019. Thank you very much for joining us, Governor Mark Sanford. My pleasure. Fantastic. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a, a huge fan of your work. I'm a huge fan of what your priorities are. I mean, my kind of background goes to a bit of the Ron Paul era and, and Liberty Republicans. And um, you were always such a, a strong ally of, of those folks uh, while you were both in Congress and uh, in, in the governor's residence. But I'm curious as to what you've been up to since leaving Congress and what you've been uh, what some of the big projects you're working on kind of post politics? Well, my big project over the last week was I was down at the farm running a traco, which is an excavator, one of those things on tracks with a bucket at the end. 
uh, fiddling down there, and I always have projects going down at the farm, uh, but I guess you're talking not a farm and other projects, and I'd say, you know, it's been a chance to, to regroup and think. It's been a busy 26 years that I was in politics, and now it's been a chance for reflection, and so it's been a lot of that, and thinking about what do I want to do when I grow up, and all that sort of thing, um, uh, but it's also been a, a chance to think about really what was my life's work, which was how do we get our arms around an unsustainable debt train that frankly could be done doing our civilization and our way of life. And for that reason, with some others started a little group called AFDDR, Americans for Debt and Deficit Reduction. And the idea, and it may be like the, the boy in Holland sticking his finger in the dike, it may be an impossible task, but we're trying to raise some measure of awareness to the national debt, which nobody's talking about. You know, the reason I did the whole messaging thing last fall, I wasn't delusional about becoming president of the United States, but the buddies that had encouraged it, their point was, Mark, you've already invested 25 years of your life. What's another couple of months if you might be able to raise and elevate this issue of debt and deficit spending? And it turns out that was a waste of time, but uh, we're trying another uh, bite at the apple with this little group called Americans for Debt and Deficit Reduction. Dot org, AFDDR.org. And Governor Sanford, it's, it's uh, something that, you know, I think many of us were very cognizant of, uh, at least in the, in the more center-right movement, the idea that there are debt and deficits that will choke uh, the futures of our children, uh, the, those who are born now, but even those who might be in the next generation. Uh, but obviously, we have this entire huge monkey wrench called the coronavirus. And, um, you know, we thought trillion-dollar numbers uh, were a rarity and only you know for large bank uh, bailouts, but now it's part of the everyday conversation with these coronavirus packages. Um, you know what does what does all this spending mean for the future of our debt and deficits? And do you think we've gotten too comfortable with throwing around these huge amounts from the federal government? Yeah, uh, uh, snakes don't hurt till they bite you, uh, and you know um, I, I, I think that we've, to your point, grown sort of accustomed and desensitized to the consequences of debt. I'm reading a fascinating book right now on the Weimar Republic, and as you may remember during that time, and it really set the stage for Hitler's rise to power, because people were carrying as much as a wheelbarrow load of currency to buy so much as a loaf of bread. And in that kind of desperation, people turn to whoever has the, 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 the loudest claim, the best answer, and for some reason people thought he did, and we know what happened from there. And, but what's telling is the 10-year time period, it was just 10 years, so we're not talking about our kids' time or grandkids' time. In a 10-year time frame, basically the wheels com came completely off in Germany, which was a highly educated uh, open political system at that time. And, and, and so I just think that one, we need to remember, uh, in fact, there's a fascinating book I'd recommend to both of you and to listeners, if you have insomnia, that is. Uh, it's called uh, This Time It's Different. And it was written by a professor from Harvard and a professor from the University of Maryland. And what they did was, uh, uh, Reinhardt and Rogoff, they, they, they chronicled the last 800 years, let me say that again, the last 800 years of financial history as it relates to government. There's been some question of their methodology, and I think that is legitimate, but the larger point that they make is an accurate one. 
And that is that basically civilizations get to a tipping point wherein they have to decide, do we go back to what made us competitive and perhaps a world power in the first place? Or do we stay on this happy, but ultimately unsustainable cycle of upward government spending, upward government consumption? And nine times out of 10, what policymakers at that time said was, well, this time it's different. And of course it never was. Gravity always works. And it was the seeds of that civilization's undoing. And so you can, you, you, another book I'd recommend is Paul Kennedy's book, The Rise and Fall of Great Powers. What he talks about was the absolute correlation between economic supremacy and military supremacy. You can't have one without the other. That's what undid the old, uh, you know, uh, former Soviet Union. And so I, I just think that one, we've become inured and sort of open to big deficits, but we're not looking at the pages of history and how immediate and quick the consequences can be. I think the consequences are going to come to us, frankly, over the next 10 years, maybe, maybe even five years. On, on that note of history, uh, I mean, I, this is some of my opinion in terms of the Trump administration before COVID. I feel like the RNC in many instances has somewhat abandoned that traditional viewpoint of fiscal responsibility in terms of spending and debt. And I'd love to hear your take on where the RNC maybe lost its way. I mean, in my mind, I think back to, um, I mean, Ron Paul being Mr. No, even yourself when you were in the governor's office, um, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there was an attempt to uh, to not accept federal, uh, a huge federal stimulus package, uh, which for fiscal conservatives was, I, I think, quite commendable. Uh, but yeah, what, what's your take on, on the RNC and, and where the party has moved in terms of um, its, its approach to fiscal responsibility? Uh, it, it, the party has abandoned fiscal responsibility of late. I mean, the, the problem with party is whoever, whatever the party is that's out of power becomes the, quote, responsible party as it relates to spending. But he who holds the power, he who holds the gold wants to spend the gold. And so I, I think that both parties have been guilty. Um, you know, I, I think that Trump has taken us down a bad road. That was my real beef with him. Uh, uh, he does not care. He's called himself the king of debt. He, he, he had a different life experience that led him to feel okay with debt. One was he had a very rich dad, very rich, uh, and so bailed him out at some early points that would have crushed the average you know, real estate entrepreneur out there. And then, it, you know, the saying is, if you borrow a little, the bank owns you. If you borrow a lot, you own the bank. And he borrowed a lot, and it worked out pretty well for him. But that's not the case for me and you uh, in, in public world. When a government defaults, there's a profound consequence to every one of us in the form of higher prices through inflation, through the devaluation of the currency, which could be our life savings. A lot of bad things happen. There is a financial consequence. So there's not a free lunch on this one. I think the RNC has absolutely lost its way. Uh, and sadly, the DNC is no better. If you look at the spending proposals, you're like, oh, my goodness. Is there, I mean, everybody's gone to la-la land as it relates to financial reality on both the Republican and Democratic side of late. We're speaking with former South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford here on the big talker, 106.7 FM. And uh, Governor, I have to ask, uh, I, I love that portion of the beginning of the interview. You talked about working on the farm. It's just like we envisioned in the Constitution. People go in, they work as legislators, they go back to their farms, they put down the political pins and, and pick up the, uh, 
the pitchfork. Uh, one question I have is about federalism and the role of the states versus the federal government. Definitely the states are usually, because of, of many, you know, balanced budget amendments and things, um, better stewards. You know, is there a role of, of maybe the, the state governments in some way putting pressure on the federal government when it comes to all this spending and debt? Is there anything that states can do? Uh, do we have to go back to federalism? Do we have to talk about a, maybe a new way to organize our financial system? You know, what, what are some more, I guess, local answers to our debt problem and things that we could solve? One is duration in office. You know, I, I've, I've never been more than eight years in one office. I was, you know, two terms as governor. I did six years in the House, and another time it's another six years in the House. But, you know, you used to have somebody who stays there king of the hill for 20 years, they lose perspective. And uh, I think it's important, you know, our, our founding fathers, they rotated in and out of politics. It wasn't as if Jefferson wasn't involved in public policy the whole of his life, but he was in and out of different things. And I think that one, the notion of term limits and not sticking around forever, to your point, is important. I think that federalism is vital, but it's dead right now. I mean, states have become sort of the stepchildren of the federal government and they're plaintiffs to the federal government for funds. And there's, you know, you don't see a lot of real strong pushback. I mean, when I attempted to turn back the Obama stimulus money, which at that time was a minuscule number, $800 million, which is a rounding error these days. Um, uh, it ultimately went to the Supreme Court and we lost. But I, I think that the legislative bodies at the state level and at the federal level have, 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 have weakened themselves, at times turning decisions over the courts that really don't need to be made by the courts, and in many cases turning decisions over the federal government that don't need, need to be made by the federal government. And, and what's your take on the opinion, and I know this, this has been expressed a couple times in the Wall Street Journal, that maybe some Democratic governors are using the COVID crisis to essentially line up at the trough now um, for federal bailout money to try and fix issues that existed in terms of their, their checkbooks prior to COVID. Is that something that you see happening? It, would it be appropriate for the federal government to bail out states or should they have a hands-off approach and, and maybe let some of the states uh, manage themselves through their their fiscal crisis? Uh, yeah, it'd be much better. It ain't going to happen, uh, but it'd be much better. I mean, it, it's, it is crazy. Uh, I was reading an article the other day on what a disaster New York City is right now, financially. I mean, you look at, I can't remember the number, but it was multi-billion dollar deficits for, a, again, a city, for New York City. Uh, and, uh, you know, the New York State was dealing with some of the same things. So, no, I mean, what you can't have is what you always have in politics, which is, you know, diffuse costs and concentrated benefit. And so he who, you know, gets something really hangs on to it and they spread the cost to everybody else. But states have been really bad. If you look at Illinois, look at the pension system in Illinois. Look at the pension system in California. The idea of... of the, the firemen and the policemen in South Carolina or North Carolina subsidizing the outrageous pension that somebody in California gets. Uh, I mean, I was looking at some of these public workers making more than 300 or more than $800,000 a year in California. And you're going, this is public service? Give me a break. Uh, and what's sad is that it, it really means that the policemen or firemen in South or North Carolina or Georgia or other Southern states 
is subsidizing those hefty places. And what's really crazy is people are moving out of the Northeast and out of the high tax states to lower tax uh, states like South Carolina, Florida, wherever. And, 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 and it, 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 it's going to get worse. Uh, you look at the number of folks moving out of New York. Every time I drive around Charleston now, I see another New York plate. Uh, it's somebody else moving down here. And they, 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 they still are leaving the cost system in place. And so, yeah, it's going to be a mess. And who bails out the bailout tour? I mean, the federal government is deep in hawk. We're running structural deficits. You know, if you look at the overall numbers, we've run about $7 trillion worth of stimulus this year, about four on the Fed side, about three on, on the fiscal side. $7 trillion. You can have quite a party if you throw $7 trillion at it. But when the party ends, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt all of us. So I don't think we're in a position to do that federally, but that's what will happen. And it's going to, again, continue this downward cycle for all of us in terms of the spending drain. Former governor, Mark Sanford, former uh, representative, current statesman, current farmer, and uh, now a fighter against the debt. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the program. Where can our listeners find your current project and anything else that you'll be working on in the future? Yeah, I just ask them to go and, and kick the tires and just learn a little bit more about why they ought to care about the debt issue for themselves and those that they love. And they could go to uh, AFDDR.org. Again, that's Americans for Debt and Deficit Reduction.org, uh, AFDDR.org. And, and again, look at some of the numbers and draw their own conclusions. Thank you so much, Governor. A pleasure to talk. Thank you for being on the Big Talker FM. Yes, sir. Thank you. back on Consumer Choice Radio. Um, what an interview. Uh, just a great guy. Really happy to have the governor join the program. Uh, I hope we can consider him a friend of the show and have him back again. No doubt. No doubt yeah. he's a friend of the show. No doubt. I think I think we'll definitely get him back on. He's got uh, obviously a mm-hmm. busy schedule because he's tackling some big subjects. He's, he's definitely a, a guy, guy who's up top, but uh, he's a he's a farmer, I guess, during the day, and then at night he he hops on and and talks to us to get on the radio. So that was pretty. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I I I also get that feeling like we haven't seen the last of Mark Sanford. He could come back, um, depending on what the U.S. political system and spectrum looks like after the election. I could see maybe the RNC veering back towards those more sane voices like Sanford. So fingers crossed that's... Yeah, you know, I I, I never got to say it, but I wanted to call him the ultimate statesman. Yes. Or did uh, I say it? I don't, you implied that it. Would have been, you implied it. Okay, yeah, but I, I should have said it because that, that's a, it's a better term, and it's a term that we actually don't often use uh, for some political figures because most of them, you know, they're just in it for themselves. They're in it for the power. They're up there for 30 years. Uh, but he's an actual mm-hmm. statesman. He's got I some mean, uh, and I love serious his, policy his, chops. I love his, his yeah, and his his personal uh, sort of limits that he said, okay, I'm only going to serve, you know, X number of terms, X number of years. I mean, look at the discipline on that. I remember being a reporter in Florida covering the congressman there. Uh, I think his name was Cliff Barn, Cliff something like this. And he said when he first got elected in like 1992, said, I'm only going to serve 14 years. 
And then when I when I started as a reporter, uh, he was like in his next term, and he was like on year eighteen or something like this. And uh, then I just like wrote a story that's like, "Hey, bud, what happened to your uh, your uh, your term limit pledge here?" And he said, "Times changed." <laughs> it's like nobody principles yeah. don't change. Only you change because you're shaped by the monster of the creep of the... And, and one thing, actually, the one regret I have about the interview with Sanford is we didn't get into when he was governor and he tried to reject the Obama stimulus money, which is like a total badass thing to do in terms of fiscal responsibility. He, yeah, he, he mentioned yeah, that a little we didn't, bit. We didn't get I, to I would love to, to talk about it. the inner workings because I know that like he said no and then... This, the courts in the state said that the legislature gets to make that call, and, and I think the legislature saw it as a bunch of money for their constituents, and so they approved it. But just to, like, the, the guts it takes to be like, no, it's okay, you keep your $700 million is uh, is pretty, pretty impressive. And we're definitely going to be boosting up that interview on our YouTube page, uh, so be sure to put in Consumer Choice Center on YouTube. You'll be able to watch the interview as well. If you're listening to us on the radio, you don't normally get to get to see our faces, but you get to see Governor Mark Sanford, who's a handsome fella, great ideas, uh, someone who is a, yep. a statesman that we should all follow. So again, David, thanks for showing me up this week on the Big Talker. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no problem. Um, on that note, in terms of one of the things that we did discuss with Governor Sanford is people leaving blue states, particularly California. Um, and I know that you showed me a, a hilarious uh, clip about the governor of California uh, from comedian Adam Carolla. So uh, let's let's get that clip rolling and, and chat about okay, we're doing <laughs> chat this? about the state of California. All right, let's do it. This is uh, Adam Carolla, one of the first podcasters, actually. So uh, you know, someone to, to envy. Here we go. Love line? Gavin. Oh, Gavin Newsom. Yeah, it gets me angry. <laughs> Gavin. Gavin. That was the best interview ever, right? Yeah, Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom. So I got a theory, because Gavin Newsom, so California is like the only thing that is, the only thing in California that's not on fire are the homeless. It's like, it's just... Homeless people in fire. That's all there is. Everyone is moving to Nashville, and they're moving to Texas. They're moving. Everyone's moving out of town, and his thing is like, okay, let me see. Ah, by 2035, no more internal combustion engines can be sold in the state of California. And you're like, okay, Gavin, the building's on fire. There's a pyramid of homeless people out front. Joe Rogan just went to Nashville. What are we doing? What are we doing here? Okay. Like how? I think that like perfectly encapsulates my feelings about California right now. It's like, okay, you have all of this craziness going on, and priority number one for the governor is to say that they're going to basically ban the sale of combustion engines in the state by 2035 and it's like dude like your half your state's literally on fire i mean that's not even to mention they have the uh flavored tobacco flavored uh vaping ban that was signed back in august 
the same thing. It's like they're they're kind of uh, diddling. You know, well, uh, Rome burns, I think, is a uh, is the term. But man, yeah, that was that. Yeah, that's very good. Corolla's had some good stuff about uh, moving out of California and progressive cities and just bad mayors and governors for a long time. That, that's a it's a good thread. Good guy to listen to for that. I have a a business proposition for you. Ooh, let's hear it. So the year is twenty. 20- 35. It's January 1st. Actually, real quick, before and, you go, I've, I've got live feedback, um, if you're willing ooh. to hear it. Um, okay, let's hear so it. So listeners would know that we spoke, David and I, on Joe's show, Morning with Joe, Mornings with Joe Catanacci, on Thursday, and I, I just got some feedback on it from um, our good buddy Ted, who actually owns the Big Talker FM. Hello, Ted. Hope you're doing well. Uh, and he says here in the quote, <clears throat> Love capitalism. Though more of a nationalist versus a globalist, not sure where David stands there. Question mark. Ooh, ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I am definitely on the globalist side of the capitalism debate. Um, I generally think that nationalism is uh, silly in many instances. And most more often than not, the losers in any type of uh, nationalistic approach, if you look at tariffs and trade wars, the losers in that are always domestic consumers. So thank you, Ted, for your question. Yeah. Please don't fire us. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't kick us off the station. Um, here's Here's a question and addendum to that. Let's say you were not a Canadian and you were a, an American born and bred, and you grew up uh, in Beaufort, South Carolina, or somewhere else, uh, you hadn't traveled much, do you think that you would still hold the same views, or do you think they would be really shaped by where you are? Assuming, let's say, you had the same education and all of that stuff, but really just more where you come from. Um, I don't know. It's hard to tell. I think that where you come from, so, I mean, we know where you come from shapes your political views. I mean, there's a reason why Alabama has voted Republican since the end of the Dixiecrats. Um, this, so I, I, I think I would be as much as I would like to say, oh, I'd be the same person, and like I'd still have the same ideas. I, I, I think I know that that's not true. I'd probably be, uh, I'd probably be, I think I'd still have like center right leanings. But I don't think, um, I don't think I would be as as globally focused or worldly in that sense. Just because there's a, there's an inherent difference between the American culture in regards to its approach to the world and the Canadian one. And I I definitely think that that's influenced my yeah. my uh, thinking over time. And I'm pretty biased as well because though I grew up in North Carolina, I was born in another country. Uh, I didn't really travel until I was about 22 or so, so I was very poorly traveled, just had gone between the two, and uh, only being French-Canadian made it a bit different. But, yeah, mm-hmm. if you were to ask me the same question, I'm I'm not really sure. I think, uh, you know, where, again, my background and where I was coming from, uh, it was always a bit more open. But then again, I had to be crushed through the U.S. Uh, immigration system. So I think that, that definitely uh, yeah. changed my view. And I still have my cousins, by the way. Man... I think I got my passport about 11 years ago, 
And my cousins who moved there maybe just a couple years after me, they're still through the application process to get their citizenship. Still waiting. Still. And it's yeah. it's been stopped many times because of stuff. 9-11 changed all the mm-hmm. rules. There's all these uh, things that are being passed by the Trump administration. Yeah, I, I just, I can't imagine being on that side now. So more power to them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it gets me thinking, like, if the circumstances were still the same. So, I mean, my, my grandparents on my mom's side, my my maternal grandmother um, fled the, fled Bulgaria when the Soviet Union invaded and they lost everything. Um, so, I mean, they quite easily could have ended up being in the suburbs of New York City rather than southern Ontario. Um, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's, there's always the scene from, I think it's my big fat Greek wedding. And it's like, oh, how did you guys come to, or maybe it's a different movie, and it's when they end up in Canada, and it's like, how did you end up in Canada? And it's like, well, we got on a boat to America, and then we found out there there was another America. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Yeah. So It's actually similar to my grandfather. He he came from Germany and uh, was on a ship to Canada, and his goal was actually to get to uh, either Toronto or the West Coast. Uh, But they said, nope, we need some some people here uh, tilling the land in Quebec. So here you go and yes. go scratch that frozen earth <laughs> for as long as yeah. you can. <laughs> Hope you brought your coat. Yeah, yeah, that was bad. But yeah, that's yeah. a good question on the fly there from uh, Ted, Ted yeah. Bodenschatz, who's uh, owner of the Big Talker FM, helps a lot of the financials run. Awesome guy. Yeah. Look at that, feedback so, on our interviews, David. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so yeah, my business idea. It's 2035. And oh, this is okay, you and related I, to California. Let's hear it. Related to California. So you and I set up major uh, major auto equipment uh, uh, stores, like uh, dealerships for cars, heavy machinery, basically anything that runs on a combustible engine. And we set up franchises in Medford for north of the state, in Reno, and then in Yuma, basically the closest cities on the outskirts of California, and we just feed the demand for the combustion engine in California after they ban the sale of those engines in the state. I think we'd make a killing. Hmm. I like that. I like anything that's on the border. It reminds me of being a uh, firework warehouse or something like this, like on the border. Uh, there's a big, there's a big <laughs> one between North and South Carolina. Uh, so that's the, the South Carolina. You're allowed to sell, you know, big, uh, huge boxes of fireworks. So everyone would cross the border from North Carolina to South Carolina. And the same thing with gasoline. You know, and actually, you yeah. know what? Come to think of it, the West Coast has a very rich history with crossing the border for stuff. I know it's the case between Washington State and Oregon. But let me see if mm-hmm. I get this right. I think Oregon has no income tax. But it has a sales tax. Washington State has no sales tax, but they have an income tax. It's one of these. It might be inversed. So you have a lot yeah. of people who live in Oregon but go shopping in Washington and vice versa and something like that. So, I mean, there's a rich tradition, and I'm sure there's plenty of people between California and, let's say, Nevada or California and, and, uh, and Oregon and all these other places that are, are easily jumping the, the border to procure different consumer goods and products uh, and now they're going to have to do it with vape devices, by the way. So I can see that happening. And, David, that's not a bad business idea. You know, uh, essentially, we're almost an import-export company at that point. 
Yeah, basically. All right, let's get the paperwork started. And I mean, I, we, we know, yeah, we know there'd be demand for it. So let's do a Clemento Soski, uh, a California Heavy. Banned Goods Company. Yeah. <laughs> Anything banned in California but legal elsewhere, we will sell. Welcome it. to the California Banned Goods <laughs> Company. Once you uh, take a look at our catalog here, it's uh, filled with all kinds of great things like leaf blowers, jewel devices. And uh, anything else that's fun and dreary. Have fun, everybody. If you're lucky, if you're lucky, you can actually enter a draw to win a Caterpillar tractor. Those things have been banned since 2021. Oh, that is a beauty. Let's do that. <laughs> I love this. California Banned Goods Company. Man, David, uh, <laughs> I, I love the California hate. I think a lot of people don't understand why we have so much California hate, by the way. I think it's, well, we have to... I mean, if you could explain it in your own words, why is it that we beat up so badly on the, the place that is objectively one of the most beautiful places in the world, California, great vineyards, beaches, um, sunsets, celebrities, Hollywood, you know, why do we beat up on it so much? I think it's because it's such a lost opportunity. It could be like the greatest place in the world. It has everything. It has, like, this incredible entertainment culture. It has different ecosystems. You, like you said, you have beaches, you have golf, you have hiking, you have mountains, you have agriculture. You have a little bit of everything in the state. Um, and they've kind of just thrown it down the tubes and let it let it kind of wash away with bad <clears throat> government policy. And now people are leaving en masse. And you're just going to start that cycle where... As soon as you like, as soon as let's say Hollywood moves or the major agricultural which, companies, which they've already done by the way, they they yeah. uh, actually were here in Wilmington for a long time. Um, I think in like, Toronto. I mean, yeah, they filmed, Iron Man they filmed 3, so many shows. Iron Man Three was filmed here. Yeah, Toronto, of course, it's a perfect backdrop for New York. Uh, but then I think the state of Georgia yeah. had better incentives, so a lot of stuff has moved there. One thing I California I just read this morning, so they've had a ballot proposition or that went into law. And that's something that you can't do in California or can't do in many other states is these ballot propositions, not on a scale like California. We've had them in North Carolina. Um, they weren't really that influential or important. It was just like the the right to hunt and fish. It's like the last thing, the, the last election. <laughs> but this one in California was actually a ban on the increase in, uh, I believe it was property taxation. Yeah, because there's a cap. Yeah, so there's, there's that an cap. Old 70s, That's right. Old seventies law. So then now there's a new proposition that will repeal that. Insanity. Yes, which I hope they don't, because that's really all that ratepayers have right now. Like the only respite they have from the clause of the state government is the fact that this law <clears throat> prohibits property taxes, especially on commercial businesses, from going up exponentially. And if they get rid of the cap, I, that's when you're really going to see, I think that's when you're really going to see businesses that don't need to be anchored to the state move. Yeah. So, I mean, Corolla mentions Joe Rogan. And that sound, when, when you say that, it sounds like, oh, okay, Joe Rogan, who is some very wealthy dude, left. Okay, well, that's one guy. But the Joe Rogan podcast team is like a, a team of... I don't know, probably 20, 30 people he has on payroll. Like, it's the same thing, I believe. Is that Ben Shapiro's outlet? The Daily, is it, Daily is Wire. His outlet the, yeah. 
that's it. They're moving. They've moved moved to Nashville, and so like it's there are all sorts of these these instances where companies just kind of pick up and and well, go. Dave Ramsey's been in Nashville, so he he did the good thing many years ago. Good old boy, Dave Ramsey also plays here on the Big Talker FM. Uh, I mean, I would I would move to Nashville tomorrow if I could. That's I think one of my favorite cities in the Clement world. Clement Nosasi coming to you from Nashville, big talker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Let's do the it. reason California, the whole California talk. Um, and look, we don't live in California. We don't pay taxes in California, but the regulations that are drafted and passed there have a spillover effect in the rest of the country. If any of you have ever picked up any piece of plastic that you own or any kind of appliance, if you look underneath or you look on the side or you look at your uh, your kids, you know, swimming uh, rings or, you know, whatever the floaters that they put in the pool, it's going to have written on there, this is known to the state of California to cause cancer. Now, what they mean is like chemicals and they've been put on this list and it's a whole thing with Prop 65 and the manufacturers have to do that because the California market is so large that they can't just make products for California and then make products for the rest of the country. They're trying to just make one mm-hmm. production line with all of the different things. So that's just one law. Imagine all the other laws. I mean, what will this mean, this this ridiculous internal combustion engine ban by 2035? A, you don't need to do that because that's how really our society functions right now is with trucking and getting food you know, across the country, and B, who knows, there'll probably be a better alternative in the future, so who are you to dictate what future innovation should be? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty wild, it's pretty wild. I mean, I, I think we talked about this before, but I bought a, a couple pair of cowboy boots on Broadway in Nashville, actually, and I take them home, I open them up, and then I see this weird tag, <laughs> and it says... This product contains ingredients or this product contains components that are known to cause cancer in the state of California. And I was like, what is this all? These are cowboy boots. I'm not eating them. But yeah, because the the leather is cured. uh, And I suppose if you were to eat a lot of cured leather, uh, it would be carcinogenic. Uh, It is quite delicious, though. So I don't know why they're trying to stop me from doing so. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so here here are my cowboy boots with a cancer warning on them, which also kind of defeats the purpose of of those warnings because if they're on everything, I mean, you just start to take them less seriously. Yeah, I don't know with with too much of these the kind of spillover effect and the laws, I I I do worry for many different jurisdictions. Um, you know, I remember when we spoke with Jacob Greer you know, he uh, he did make Oregon, Oregon, as some people say, uh, yeah. seem a generally rosy place, which I definitely agree with. Mm-hmm. Again, an awesome, beautiful state, very entrepreneurial, great culture, great beer. Uh, but, you know, just the political culture is just bad. And this is not a place that where you go to have healthy political disagreements. Um, or maybe some people are of the mindset. And I think a lot of people in California have kind of been... Uh, they've, they've kind of been relegated to this, and it's probably the same in New York. If you are a independent thinking person, let's say you're center-right or center-left, essentially you just put up and shut up, and you just kind of mind your own business. And uh, maybe like Adam Carolla, who's lived in California his whole life, like you just gripe. And maybe you do it privately, or maybe you do it publicly. I don't know. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... And some of the proposals 
that come. I think it was Portland, or maybe it was Seattle. I don't know, whatever major city it was. But basically, like city councilors wanted to go to war with Amazon as if they were like federal legislators. And it's like, guys, you're city councilors. <laughs> cool your jets here. Like, you you can think that there's some grave injustice, but you and your constituents of fifty thousand are not solving this problem. So kick rocks, please. <laughs> kick rocks y'all i mean what are, yeah what are yeah. they gonna do they're gonna make you know i don't know try to rebuild the sidewalk outside or something like this to to make it yeah. impassable uh, so i don't know stupid. i heard this a little bit um and let, let's revisit a big policy thing real quick i think we're we're close to i mean we're not close to the end of the year but it's getting here people are going to start doing their retrospectives of the year which are going to be mm-hmm. pretty calamitous but uh one thing that it, you know, let's go back. I don't know if it was a couple months or maybe a year. Do you remember when Amazon was on the hunt for its next headquarters? Yes. Yeah, I do. So that was a big deal. Every place uh, really in the country, even Charlotte, uh, Charleston, uh, Nashville as well, Tampa, New York, D.C., uh, I know Chicago, a lot of places in Texas. Everybody was like putting forward submissions to try to coax Amazon and- to their city. Yeah, and AOC led the charge for Amazon to not end up in New York. Yeah, and in the I, I guess in the end, uh, Amazon did end up, uh, I think, splitting their headquarters between D.C. and New York. Um, and the thing is, is there was this unique kind of coalition between like the progressives of the AOC flair and libertarians in that these jurisdictions don't need to offer millions of subsidies, whether it be in, mm-hmm. you know, you don't pay taxes for the next 10 years or anything else. Um, either you do that or, you know, that's it. That, that was a, a kind of thing. But the AOC wing was more just like, we just don't like this company. We don't like these jobs. We think they're fake jobs, I guess. My question is, how does this look, you know, now that we're in the pandemic? Was that just like a terrible blowback? Do you think they'll have any blowback? Does that reflect poorly on them? Because, I mean, it, if it would have been in Long Island, this huge Amazon distribution corporate headquarters thing, I mean, there, that would have been twenty five or 50,000 jobs easily. And now it's probably like a 1,000 tech workers in some Manhattan building. Yeah, and th- so this is the thing that I don't understand, is that these are working class jobs. The people who pick these <laughs> orders and and run the SKUs and pack the skids, like... They, this is blue collar work in blue collar districts. This is what you should want. I mean, they'll be like, oh, well, they're not great paying jobs. I mean, most of these jobs are like two to three dollars above whatever the state minimum wage is. So, what are you complaining about? <clears throat> I mean, we're in they're hindsight, not green jobs, David. they're not green jobs. Yeah, it's like, who cares? People just want to be able to work and pay their bills. Um, and so, in hindsight, it looks ridiculous because, I mean, we, so many people are going to lose their jobs. Let's say you're a service worker in the restaurant industry at a restaurant that's never coming back. Uh, it would be nice to be able to work for Amazon, which is one of the few companies that's actually growing right now. And the thing that you have to imagine is, what is any future company going to do now? You know, are they even going to announce that they're looking for a new headquarters? Are they going to try to go? Because then it just becomes political. And, you know, this huge thing where it's part of everyone's talking points. 
and then you're just like a company that makes widgets and then all of a sudden you've got to like appeal to all these political factions you got no idea what's going on you, you think maybe it's mm-hmm. a unionization state non-unionization who knows subsidies taxes i don't know this is it, it it's not generally good for a pro-market environment when you have these very feisty exchanges and i understand them in principle people do not want uh, what many uh, of the left would call mass exploitation or something like this. I understand that that's what they think. It's just not true. Amazon is not coming and crushing people. It's coming to town, offering people jobs, create income, and then you as a customer, as a consumer, can then order stuff and it arrives at your door quicker, cheaper, yet better products, better selections. I mean, because of where I live, I don't have Amazon Fresh deliveries or Amazon Prime Now. I don't have that. <laughs> Prime now. <laughs> well, and this is the thing is that when people gripe <laughs> about Amazon, my response 99% of the time is, well, if you don't like Amazon, it's your fault. Don't order from Amazon. No, like Amazon isn't wealthy because they struck a deal with the federal government to replace the US Postal Service and they get $20 billion <laughs> a year from the government, or, or or they got some uh, some contract with the government that subsidizes all of their exchanges with consumers, or something along those lines. They make money because people like the fact that they can order stuff to their house, do it quickly, can browse a variety of different products, and that whole process can be done seamlessly. And like as you said, Prime now <laughs> you can get things quickly. Um, and so people forget that like, oh, it's Amazon made so much money in the pandemic. And it's like, well, why did they make money? They made money because we were all using it because it was a lifesaver. God, and I can only imagine, you know, this is a a place that actually was able to open. You know, if, if many other businesses were open, how much would they have also been able to quote profit? And, um, you know, and I, I've, I've tried to do you know, nice little debates. And I read the Jacobin magazine, the very far left socialist magazine for them. The idea, I think that's a generous description of them, but okay. why? Oh, generous. Oh, I, you, think, you think they're just outright Marxist and, and want to kill the person. Yeah, yeah. Could be. Um, but reading that magazine, they have an entire, I mean, any company that makes a profit, any of you who are listening, who are business owners, you're just evil. Because why aren't you giving more of that money to, quote, the community or giving it to the government or something like this? And it's all it's all definitions and terms that are just lopsided. But this idea of profit somehow being bad is one that I still cannot really understand. There's a lot of of these sort of general, broad uh, sort of leftist philosophy that goes into this that I can understand. I get if I interpreted history a particular way, I'd be all on board. But particularly for the profit thing, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just well, can't. It's, it's, a, it's a culture where it's more fashionable to resent success than to want to <clears throat> go out and seek it. And that's like the opposite of... Like, when people talk about inequality, there are some, some good arguments in terms of why inequality matters. But for the most part, you read some of the stuff from Jacobin and other kind of leftist, far left um, institutions. It almost always comes. It almost always 
feels like resentment or jealousy. It's it's never like and 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 it's in many the politics of envy, is, right? Yeah, po- the politics of envy, which is fundamentally un-American in my opinion, because there are no like when you ask poor people in America, they are just temporarily poor. There is a mindset that they can be future middle class or future wealthy people. Temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Yeah. I think that that culture, though, is is really important because it creates a work ethic uh, across the board where people are always striving to be better, to do better, to be more creative, to come up with new ideas. I mean, there's a reason why... People will say, "Well, how come? How come no tech giants come from Europe?" It's like, well, the the culture for innovation in Europe is horrific in comparison to the United States and, in some senses, Canada. Um, Build so back just... better, David. That's that's what people are thinking, <laughs> and uh, I, I think that yeah. that leads us into uh, the Build Back Better, which is the uh, it's the Biden uh, slogan, also the Trudeau mm-hmm. slogan. Also a slogan of yeah, the United I Nations. I didn't like that. Also a slogan of Boris Johnson. It's now a global slogan, by the way. I don't know if you've uh, looked into it by typing in uh, Build Back Better into your search engine. You'll see that it actually is now a pandemic-era catchphrase for every government in the world. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what... I don't know where the memo went out at, or maybe I'm not subscribed to that newsletter. You know, I didn't read last month's Jacobin magazine. <laughs> maybe I need to catch up. But uh, David, you had an article that you wanted to talk about for the election. Uh, you've been looking and yep. understanding a bit of the poll numbers. Uh, look, we're mm-hmm. we're only what two weeks away from the election, less than that. Uh, we had the the debate uh, that was yesterday. We actually haven't been able to catch that for some reason. Uh, but you had the the debate just a couple days until the election, David. Uh, tell us this article breakdown and, and the numbers, because I think you've looked into this more than I have. Yeah, it was super interesting. So, I mean, I'm kind of a nerd for the polls. Um, I like looking at where things are at, uh, not the national polls, because the national polls really don't mean anything. I mean, you could get every single vote in California. You're still only going to get the amount of electoral college votes that they have. So, um the, the article is from National Review, and it says Biden is still underperforming Hillary, and it compared on October 20th where Hillary was in battleground states versus where Biden is. And in almost all of these states, the gap is less now than it was in 2016. So if you're someone who's kind of rooting for Biden, and I think I put myself in that camp, this is pr- pretty problematic. I mean... On October 20th, 2016, in Michigan, which is up for grabs, Clinton was up 12 points. Biden is only up 7.5. Um, in Wisconsin, it's about the same. In Florida, Clinton was up 4 points. Biden is only up 1 right now. Uh, in North Carolina, in this state, Clinton was up 2.5 points at this point in the election. Biden is only up 2 points. Um, Arizona, all of these states have this kind of shrinking gap and so i mean we'll see the impact the debate has on whether or not it will continue to shrink biden's lead or if uh, or if maybe you'll see a reverse and you'll see biden kind of pull forward from it but um it, it uh, this election is going to be my prediction on this election is i think that joe biden is going to win 
I think this election is going to be much closer than anybody has predicted. And I think we won't know that Joe Biden is the next president <clears throat> of the United States until for probably three, four, maybe even five weeks um, because of mail-in ballots, because of the counting process, and because of how tight this is going to be. I don't want that to be the case, but I think that this is going to be a nail-biter that'll, that'll rival the, the Bush-Gore election of 2000. And uh, a lot of these polls show that it's, it's much closer where it matters um, than, than some of the headlines would suggest. I'm going to take the opposite view. Because uh, I believe okay. in the, I believe in the shy Tory vote uh, effect. Mm-hmm. I do think there is a substantial amount of people who are very passionate about Trump, and they're not uh, necessarily seen in any of these, you know, Beltway talk shows or in New York or in L.A. It's all kind of in in the heartland, and within many of these uh, sort of left leaning places, there are still a lot of people who. Uh, much like the Adam Carolla might be quiet at home and not say too much about politics, but think the opposite. And, you know, we can never know. When it comes to the mail-in ba- ballots and absentee ballots, yeah, that's definitely going to complicate things. Uh, I just know that uh, many states, because uh, the elections in the states are all run by the individual states and uh, secretary or supervisor of elections, depending on what the position is called in each state, and they're all making their own rules. And some are saying, okay, you can, as long as your ballot is postmarked on election day, sometimes you can turn it in. Uh, a lot of that is definitely going to confuse it. Early voting numbers have been really high. Um, it's something like a third of the electorate has already voted. Uh, I know my parents and plenty of my friends have already done so, which, by the way, a couple of years ago was not possible. Nobody could do that at all. You could only vote on election day proper. But I still think yep. there's, there's a little bit of gas in the tank. Uh, for Trump, there's probably going to be a lot of people who stay home. It'll come down to Hispanics and African Americans. And uh, when I spoke with yep. Alan Holmes earlier this week on the station, he's saying, like, look, black people are not huge fans of the Democratic Party right now. Uh, they kind of sided mm-hmm. with Joe a bit in the primary because he was kind of, you know, understanding the issues a bit. But, you know, he hasn't made any concrete uh, sort of plans. Meanwhile, Trump is coming out with this platinum plan, you know, uh, talking about all kinds of investments and things. And yep. yeah, I think if a lot of, if a, if a certain sector of the electorate stays home, uh, which I think could happen because people are probably fed up, I, I see it tilting a Trump way. But I guess we'll see here in a couple of weeks. Well, and there are some rumors now in Florida that turnout for Hispanics <laughs> in Miami-Dade County is way up. And nationally, you would assume that that benefits Biden, but locally in Florida, that really benefits Trump because you have uh, Cuban Americans who are overwhelmingly Republican. Um, so yeah, it's it's a real mixed bag. But on that note, of of people who support or maybe supported Biden, but or who are looking at Trump, did you see what Fifty Cent recently 50. said? What did, what did Fifty say? Yeah, I saw some of the headlines. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to edit my language here for his tweet. Please do. Uh, um, FCC uh, Commissioner <laughs> Brendan Carr, who's a friend of the show, is listening, and he will mute us if we use any curse words. So yeah. go ahead. Please don't. Please don't find me. <laughs> please don't um, find me. Please don't so, fire me. That's a theme of today's show. <laughs> yeah. So, 
the tax rates, the top tax rates by state came out for um, for Joe Biden's tax plan when you combine local taxes, state taxes, and federal taxes. And uh, for New York State, uh, for sorry, for New York City, it's 62%. And so 50 Cent, who obviously lives in New York, tweeted, What the F? Vote for Trump. I'm out. F New York. The Knicks never win anyway. I don't care if Trump doesn't like black people. 62% are you out of your F in mind. Go, <laughs> so go, basically, go, go, shawty. It's your birthday. Wow. It's, so basically he was like, yeah, uh, <laughs> get rich or die trying. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to die well, trying. Well, actually, let's look. In the last two, <laughs> in the last two weeks, uh, you have two major figures in the entertainment industry. You have Ice Cube and you have 50 Cent. Yep. Um, now, Ice Cube did not endorse Trump. He just said he met with the Republicans and presented his own plan. I believe it's called Contract or African-American Contract or something like this, um, which you know is, is big on the justice issue. It's big on economic opportunities for African-Americans. I, I don't know. I, I saw one, I think it was an Axios uh, poll or they were reporting on it that they're actually seeing a tiny shift in the number of African-Americans and Hispanics uh, voting for Trump or you know, stating to pollsters that they're voting for Trump. I don't know, man. This is uh we're living in a strange yeah. parallel parallel world with all the pandemic stuff and now to know that uh our next uh, the next four years of kind of uh global fervor, which has been very anti Trump, anti America. Um maybe I'm wrong there, mm-hmm. but I think that's kind of been the, the the mantra to know that all this kind of ends in a couple of weeks or resets. Yeah, that's uh it's got me thinking a bit scary, David. Yeah, or, or maybe it doesn't end. I mean, the maybe nightmare Trump continues. Wins. Yeah, maybe Trump wins, and then it's like, this is the one thing. It's like, if if Trump wins, what's going to happen? Like, what's just think about the reaction on Twitter. <laughs> We've already had celebrities be like, "I'm leaving if Trump wins." They did that before. I get that. Oh, we know, like, yeah, you're going to have a I, lot of new neighbors up there in Canada, David. That's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, come on by. Just not just not in my uh, town, please. Not in my backyard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pro immigration, just not pro US immigration to Canada. Uh, I'm kidding. You're all welcome. There you go. I have a couch you can sleep. There you on. go, guys. You're you're welcome to go yeah. uh, sleep on David's couch. David, a great hour. Uh, we had Governor Mark Sanford on, uh, former governor of South Carolina, former representative, uh, all-around awesome statesman who's uh, trying to remind everyone of the debts and the deficits and everything else that will eat mm-hmm. away at our children's future. So great to have him on the program. I think we did a, a good roundup and uh, overall was a pretty awesome show. Yeah, yeah, another great week. Thank you all for joining us. And uh, we will we will see you next week, whether you're listening live on the radio or where you listen to your podcast. So thank you again for joining us. And that does it for Consumer Choice Radio here on the Big Talker 106.7 FM. Thank you for joining us for the hour and for all the other past shows and archives. Check with Consumer Choice Radio for much more.